Michael Vannin and Sui Laid to all my elf friends. I am Tani Genuviel and wishing you all a very happy new year this <clears throat> first day of the new year. And you are listening to What Would Arwen Do on every other Friday morning on KUCI in Irvine broadcasting from the University of California at Irvine. And in case you are tuning in for the very first time and wondering what in the world is this all about? This is the show where we ask, I ask, if a Middle-earth elf lived today in Orange County, California, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? Some people ask, what would Jesus do? Which is a very good question. Uh, I like to ask, what would Arwen do? And in case you're not familiar with who Arwen was, Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing lore and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or in elvish Arda. So I believe that Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige, that with great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor and service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. So I believe that this, quote, elven quality exists in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of creativity, nobility, and service. And uh, my hope is that by tuning in, you will be inspired to find your creative gift and bring it into the world to enrich not only your life, but the lives of those around you. And I am very pleased uh, that I now have a co-host, a hobbit, Milo Lomestown. Good morning, Milo. Good morning, Tani, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How delightful it is to be here. Are you... <laughs> I don't see the red light. Oh, because the light bulb is burnt oh. out. <laughs> as with sometimes with Christmas tree lights, our little lights here on the board sometimes get a... As long as we can hear ourselves, and all is good. But it is a, a great new year, Absolutely. and it is a great decade to be looking forward to, as we are going to talk about later, the Hobbit movies. Yes, absolutely. And um, again, if you're just tuning in, this is KUCI in Irvine. And um, well, we have so much, so many wonderful things. It's been a wonderful, wonderful holiday season uh, for me. I don't know, uh, uh, but it's been an interesting, uh, interesting week. Just for some reason this year especially um, maybe it's because we're turning into kind of a new decade but just feeling of uh, things passing away and entering into a new time 
That's absolutely right, a new time. And, of course, as a practical hobbit, <laughs> I, I have some friends that point out, well, you know, in the tradition of calendars, technically they used to say the new decade doesn't start until 2011. But everyone from Rolling Stone to the Nightly News reports to MSNBC, all of the news outlets, all of the magazines and newspapers are saying that this is the beginning of a new decade, and so I'm willing to go along with that for the sake of community. And in this in this wonderful holiday season, I was very, very blessed on Christmas to be with the family, the nieces and nephews, and in the new year, uh, we'll be blessed today to spend some time with the nieces and nephews. Well, it's interesting that even in J.R.R. Tolkien's works, there were um, different calendars. There was in uh, there was what's called the Shire Reckoning, uh, which was the calendar system of the Shire and of Bree, and a, it was an adaptation of the King's Reckoning. I'm reading this from Tolkien's uh, World A to Z: The Guide to Middle Earth from Robert Foster, and uh, the year one was equal to uh, Third Age, 1601 in the Shire and 1300 in Bree. So even back in Middle Earth, there was not a general consensus. <laughs> about uh, the calendar. Absolutely true. And today, of course, we have many traditions that keep their calendars in um, in a very religious way. Mm-hmm. We have, of course, the very ancient Chinese calendar, which is very, very actively, very actively followed. We have the uh, Jewish calendar. We have the Islamic calendar. These are calendars that are still very active. And even around the world, in in the Western tradition, there is disagreement about calendars. It's amazing. Even about how, time zones. <laughs> even about time zones, uh, UTC versus uh, Greenwich Mean Time. We have, uh, in the United States, we believe the week begins on Sunday. In France, they believe it begins on Monday. So even today, we see Tolkien reflecting um, not only a great mythology, but also reflecting reality in many ways, yes. by having different calendars. Yes. Oh, I mean, it's amazing when you stop to think of uh, this man, the professor, J.R.R. Tolkien, who we will be celebrating this morning and, and discussing various aspects of his life and work uh, and sharing some of his own, uh, his own readings. Um, but that it's so amazing that he created, created uh, or as he would say, discovered this world of Middle Earth and um, created... Uh, it was such complexity that he even had various calendars. I mean, there's you know there's a whole backstory to uh, this the the difference between the Shire calendar and the calendar of the rest of Middle Earth. I mean, how many authors um, have that much detail of, of 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 the the worlds that they bring to our awareness? Very, very, <laughs> very few. Yes. So. Um, with that, uh, we are, it is January 1st, and our uh, dear professor, um, we will be celebrating here, let's see, uh, January 3rd. Uh, 1892, uh, January 3rd, 1892. So in two days, we'll be celebrating then his 118th birthday. 
Yes. And um, so we both have some things we wanted to read and share this morning. Um, I'm going to, I'm very excited for you to, for you to share some updates in a few moments. I'd like to share a little reading from a Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle Earth uh, by Colin Durias. And I love his work. Um, I originally um, came, knew of his work from the Encyclopedia of C.S. Lewis, which when I went to see the movies, uh, Let's see, 2002, it will be eight years ago this coming March uh, that started me on my uh, grand adventure of my life as an elf. Um, But the only thing I had really was this uh, guide, um, uh, this encyclopedia of C.S. Lewis, which I was able to actually find out a whole lot about the relationship of J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and some of the things that they collaborated on. And and I was delighted to find that he also has uh, work uh, dedicated just to uh, the professor. So this is from Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings. And I love he starts out in this chapter on the life and work of J.R.R. Tolkien with an excerpt from uh, a letter of J.R.R. Tolkien's written on 25th October 1958. And uh, J.R. Tolkien says of himself, I was born in 1892 and lived for my early years in, quote, the Shire in a pre-mechanical age, or more important, I am a Christian, which can be deduced from my stories, and in fact a Roman Catholic. The latter, quote, fact, perhaps cannot be deduced. I am in fact a hobbit, in all but size. I like gardens, trees, and unmechanized farmlands. I smoke a pipe, and like good plain food. I like, and even dare to wear, in these dull days, ornamental waistcoats. (laughs) I am fond of mushrooms, out of a field have a very simple sense of humor, which even my appreciative critics find tiresome. I go to bed late and get up late when possible. I do not travel much. (laughs) And then it goes on to say, J.R.R. Tolkien's most familiar creation, The Hobbits of Middle-Earth, belonged only to his private world until September 1937. Before then, they were known only to his children and to his great friend C.S. Lewis and to a few other people. The print run of what is now a children's classic, and soon to be a movie, The Hobbit, or There and Back Again, 1937, in its first edition was 1,500 copies. Forty years later, in 1977, the initial print run for the U.S. edition of Tolkien's The Silmarillion was over 300,000 copies, and two years later, the run for the U.S. paperback edition was reportedly over 2.5 million copies. John Ronald Rule Tolkien was born on 3rd January, 1892, in Blomfontein, South Africa, the first son of English citizens Arthur Arthur Rule and Mabel Tolkien. In the time of his father's death in 1896, Ronald Tolkien and his brother Hilary were in England with his mother because of his health. They remained in England after his father's death and occupied a rented house in Serhole, uh, Warwickshire, outside Birmingham. In Sarah Hall, there was an old brick mill with a tall chimney. Though it was powered by a steam engine, the stream ran under its great wheel. The mill with its frightening miller's son made a deep impression on Tolkien's imagination. In The Lord of the Rings, 1954 to 1955, he wrote of a mill in Hobbiton, located on the water which was torn down and replaced by a brick building, which polluted both the air and water. And uh, he says in his letters, Tolkien remembered his mother as, quote, a gifted lady of great beauty and wit, greatly stricken by God with grief and suffering who died in youth 
at 34, of a disease hastened by persecution of her faith. Her nonconformist family was opposed to her move to Roman Catholicism, which took place in 1900. It is to my mother, wrote Tolkien, who taught me, when I obtained a scholarship, that I owe my tastes for philology, especially of Germanic languages and for romance. So we can thank J.R.R. Tolkien's mother for planting in him that love of languages through which we see so much beauty expressed in the, all the over 14 languages of Middle-earth. It's mm -hmm. amazing how he has not only devised calendars, but the languages, the variety of languages, very light and airy languages, very deep guttural languages, and yet established uh, sort of a lingua franca in the books, the Western speech, which pretty much all of the races can speak. Uh, Gimli certainly has his dwarvish tongue. Mm -hmm. And uh, the black speech, of and course. And the black speech, of course, uh. which will not be mentioned here <laughs> today because today is a day of celebration yes. of his birth. And as, the ring is now unmade. <laughs> yes. But speaking of his birth, I, I found this particular letter from the authorized biography by Humphrey Carpenter, Tolkien's authorized biography published in 1977, and, of course, this is the first edition, needless to say. I had, if I can make a bibliographical side note, you mentioned yes. The Hobbit, which was published in 1937. Mm -hmm. uh, several years ago, 20 years ago, I had a chance to buy a first edition, first imprint for $7,500. And I said, well, $7,500 is an awful lot for one book. I should have invested, yes. Tommy. I should have invested. <laughs> but to the birth of of Tolkien in this authorized biography is reprinted a letter from Tolkien's father, Arthur Tolkien, to J.R.R. Tolkien's grandmother, which would be Arthur Tolkien's mother. Mm -hmm. And Arthur, Arthur Tolkien writes on January 4th, 1892, the day after Tolkien was born. He writes, My dear mother, I have good news for you this week. Mabel gave me a beautiful little son last night, on January 3rd. It was rather before time, but the baby is strong and well, and Mabel has come through wonderfully. The baby is, of course, lovely. It has beautiful hands and ears, very long <laughs> fingers, very light hair, Tolkien eyes, and very distinctly a Suffield mouth. In general effect, immensely like a very fair edition of its Aunt Mabel Minton. When we first fetched Dr. Stolreither yesterday, he said it was a false alarm and told the nurse to go home for a fortnight. But he was mistaken, and I fetched him again about eight, and then he stayed until 12.40 when we had a whiskey to drink luck to the boy. The boy's first name will be John after its grandfather, probably John Ronald Royal altogether. Mab wants to call it Ronald, and I want to keep up John and Royal. So that was that was the first letter about Tolkien. Yes. And of course we know from the collected letters which I will be reading some later that Tolkien himself was very proficient in writing letters. Yes. And we um well I, I guess I can speak mainly for myself, but I kind of can speak for some of my friends who shared the same views are all so very <laughs> glad that he did because not only do we have this rich, rich story and the backstory of uh, this 
discovered world of Middle Earth, but uh, we get a glimpse into what was going on through the life of the author, through the process of uh, of that writing and of the of the of the coming to publication and of just who he was as a person. I think we all, um, at, at least I love. I like to let a person's work stand on its own and appreciate it for its artistic merits. Um, but it, generally, once I've done that, then I, especially if it's something that's very dear to my heart, then I want to know something about who, who it was, what, what incarnate spirit brought this wonderful thing down out of the earth ethers for us to enjoy. Absolutely, I agree. I personally, before seeing a film, never read anything about anyone involved, anything involved, until after I see the film, because the work should stand on its own. But after I see a movie, and if I really enjoy it, then I sort of am curious, not to evaluate the film, but just curious, as as humans are curious about right. their fellow creatures, to find out how this person came to be this artist, and right. how this particular piece of art came from them. And thanks to the letters of Tolkien, we have some insight as to what happened. For instance, 1937, as you point out, is the original publication of The Hobbit. But as early as 1917, Tolkien was formulating the Silmarillion in his mind 20 yes. years earlier. Yes. In fact, I thought I had brought with me this morning, but I think it's next to my bed in my other stack of books that I was uh, researching through last night, which I absolutely love to do. You know, what, what, what was the elf doing on New Year's Eve? She was reading, <laughs> reading through the commentaries and reading through. And there's a wonderful book uh, by Jean Chance on uh, the Lord of the Rings, something creating a mythology, but she has a wonderful chronology in the beginning of that book that tells not only different um, aspects of J.R.R. Tolkien's life and what was going on, but what was going on in the world simultaneously. And uh, again, I wish I would have uh, remembered to bring that. Um, it's, and as you said, so many people, I'm sure, well, many people, I'm sure, have read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and have loved them. And have not necessarily, I, I am sometimes hard-pressed to find people who have worked their way through the Silmarillion and uh, the history of Middle-earth, those 12 volumes of the history of Middle-earth and the letters of J.R. Tolkien. Um, this percentage of those people is, is a, a little bit smaller. Although um, my friend Martin in Toronto has, in fact, worked yes. his way through the 12 volumes of the history, and maybe sometime this year we'll be lucky enough to have him on and get his perspective. That would be wonderful. Um, in fact, speaking of which, we ha need to take a moment to say hello to uh, our friends who are listening in. Uh, we've been a little remiss in that. We've been so excited this morning <laughs> about sharing and welcoming the new year with J.R. Tolkien and his upcoming celebration of his uh, birthday. Uh, so... Uh, let's take a moment. I would like to say a special hello to uh, everyone who's listening here from Southern California. We are broadcasting from the University of California at Irvine at 88.9 FM. And we also are streaming live on the Internet 24 hours a day, seven days a week at KUCI.org, www.KUCI.org. And, of course, our public affairs website where people can listen to podcasts of the shows at www.KUCITalk.org. So I would like to say a special hello to uh, friends who are listening also through the Internet, especially up in Canada, up in the Northwest, Vana Guru. Uh, Arwen, uh, 
Rodia, who I believe is over in Poland again, and uh, just uh, so it's the internet is a wonderful, such a wonderful thing that helps us to stay connected. Uh, so in uh, back in uh, the time of uh, the adventures of the of the hobbits. Um, the elves pretty much had to stay connected through palantiri, uh, but now we have the internet. <laughs> a different kind of palantir. I'd like to say hello to the people listening to the podcast, which is available on iTunes. Certainly oh, when right. you look at the previous decade, perhaps the number one story was the iPod and iTunes, the iPhone, and all that tremendous technology that Apple brought to us. If you go to your iTunes store and search on the keyword Arwen, A-R-W-E-N, you will find the uh, podcast, What Would Arwen Do? And so there's another way to listen to us, and I'd like to say a special welcome to those of us um, that are listening via the the after the fact, because in Japan, right, it's the middle of the night. They can't be listening <laughs> That's to us. Right. So I'd like to say a special hello to people that are listening to us via the iTunes podcast. Yes. In fact, Parm, uh, I'm not sure if he's tuning in this morning, but listens in quite often from over in Japan. And also a special hello to Orem, who maybe or may not be listening in from very chilly Minnesota. And I do have to say for all of you out there, I wish I could send you some of the beautiful uh, weather of uh, Southern California, also known as as the Phallus or our Shire (laughs) right here. It, It is indeed a little slice of paradise right here in Southern California. So sending all of our friends, uh, not only love and best wishes for the new year, but uh, some sweet sunshine and starlight. Did you see the moon? Uh, did oh you see? my gosh! Was, Once in a blue moon. <laughs> last and night. Tolkien loved loved the uh, the earth, and the, he writes so much about the beautiful stars. In fact, um, I'm going to share a little reading uh, this morning of his his love of uh, not only the the earth but the stars. Um, but uh, yes, the blue moon. Uh, f- uh, on on New Year's Eve, ushering out the old year, there was the new the the moon all night long in its glory, absolutely just shining bright, smiling on, blessing the entire earth. It was it was, and as you mentioned, uh, this month it was a blue moon, which is once in a blue moon is our phrase that means very very rarely, and it comes from the fact that occasionally we will have two full moons. In the same month mm-hmm. and for us in the western hemisphere uh, that was uh, um, December uh-huh. because December uh, had two full moons now in China they will celebrate January of 2010 as once in a blue moon because to them January 1st which was yesterday to them today for us uh-huh. uh, will be the full moon and so they will have a blue moon in January 2010 we had our blue moon uh, last night, and yes. it was gloriously uh, br- bright. I saw the man in the moon smiling down on us and saying, welcome in the new decade. Forget all of the difficulties and pain of the last decade, and welcome the new future. The last decade brought us Google, Facebook, other amazing things for uh-huh. people to stay connected. The iTunes, as I've already said, the iPhone, iPod, and I'm dreaming of the amazing miracles that the wizards will bring us, because that's what they are in my mind, these inventors, what the wizards will bring us in 2010, including uh, Guillermo del Toro, who is a different kind of wizard. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to read just a small excerpt from uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's from the Silmarillion uh, from the chapter on of the sun and moon, which talks about the creation of the sun and moon, because as people may or may not know, <clears throat> the sun and moon came along quite later. The elves awoke in starlight and lived uh, in the twilight of the stars and of the light of the two trees. <clears throat> for uh, many thousands of years. Um, but it says, Isil, and I love, again, um, J.R. Tolkien, he's, he's so amazing because it's his love of languages. It was almost as though uh, things that he loved, uh, one name for them was not enough. So he had several names often for, um, for places and for beings and for, uh, even for the sun and moon. So it says here, Isil the Sheen, the Vanyar, which were the oldest of the elves who um, made the journey into elven home. Isil the Sheen, the Vanyar of old, named the moon, flower of Telpirion in Valinor. And Anar, the fire golden, the fruit of Lorlin, they named the sun. But the Noldor named them also Rana, the wayward, and Vasa, the heart of fire that awakens and consumes. For the sun was set as a sign for the waken, awakening of men and the waning of the elves, but the moon cherishes their memory. <clears throat> so every time I see the moon, I remember that the moon cherishes our memory. <clears throat> so <clears throat> shall, we, uh, shall we play a little something from the uh, professor before we get back into, uh, or, or should we talk a little? Well, I would love to hear the professor talking because his voice, uh, in addition to his writing being wonderful, his voice was so well suited to reading and speaking, really better than C.S. Lewis, who I also love dearly as an author, but Tolkien, when he's reading, is so sensitive to the language and its rhythms, yes. intonations. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, and because he had such a love of old old, you know, the old uh, epics, stories, and poems. Um, so this morning I thought we would play, uh, since, of course, uh, uh, those of us who loved the movies were a, a little disappointed that Tom Bombadil did not make it into the movies. And I yet- was very disappointed. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, where's Tom Bombadil? Because, of course, I had been, as I've told you, I reread The Lord of the Rings basically every year. Um, and I said, where is Tom Bombadil? But after... The trilogy was over. I understood. Yeah, I you can understood. only do so much. Yeah, so we are going to hear the professor reading his poem, "The Adventures of Tom Bombadil," which, in fact, if you uh, read the Lord of the Rings and uh, the chapter on Tom Bombadil. Uh, this little poem actually gives you a bit of the backstory of who Tom Bombadil and uh, Goldberry are. So it's kind of like a little miniature Silmarillion for Tom Bombadil. Um, so uh, here is uh, Professor Tolkien uh, with The Adventures of Tom Bombadil. You are listening to KCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM. And this is What Would Arwen Do? And this is J.R.R. Tolkien. Old Tom Bombadil was a merry fellow. Bright blue his jacket was and his boots were yellow. Green were his girdle and his breeches all of leather. He wore in his tall hat a swan-wing feather. He lived up under hill, where the withy windle ran from a grassy well down into the dingle. Old Tom in summertime walked about the meadows, gathering the buttercups, running after shadows, tickling the bumblebees that buzzed among the flowers, sitting by the waterside for hours upon hours. There his beard dangled long down into the water, 
Up came Goldberry, the river woman's daughter, pulled Tom's hanging hair. In he went a-wallowing, under the water-lilies bubbling and a-swallowing. "'Hey, Tom Bombadil, where are you going?' said fair Goldberry. "'Bubbles you are blowing, frightening the finny fish and the brown water-rat, startling the dab-chicks and drowning your feather-hat. "'You bring it back again, there's a pretty maiden,' said Tom Bombadil. "'I do not care for wading. "'Go down, sleep again where the pools are shady, far below willow-roots, little water-lady.' Back to our mother's house, in the deepest hollow, swam young Goldberry, but Tommy would not follow. On knotted willow roots he sat in sunny weather, drying his yellow boots and his draggled feather. Up woke Willowman, began upon his singing, sang Tom fast asleep under branches swinging. In a crack caught him tight, snick, it closed together, trapped Tom Bombadil, coat and hat and feather. Ah, Tom Bombadil, what be you a-thinking? Peeping inside my tree, watching me a-drinking, deep in my wooden house, tickling me with feather, dripping wet down my face like a rainy weather. You let me out again, old man Willow. I'm stiff lying here, they're no sort of pillow, your hard, crooked roots. Drink your river water. Go back to sleep again, like the river daughter. Willow man let him loose when he heard him speaking, locked fast his wooden house, muttering and creaking, whispering inside the tree. Out from Willow Dingle, Tom went, walking on up the withy windle. Under the forest eaves he sat a while a-listening. On the boughs, piping birds were chirruping and whistling. Butterflies about his head went quivering and winking, until grey clouds came up as the sun was sinking. Then Tom hurried on. Rain began to shiver, round rings spattering in the running river. The wind blew, shaken leaves, chilly drops were dripping. Into a sheltering hole old Tom went skipping. Out came Badger Brock with his snowy forehead and his dark blinking eyes. In the hill he quarried with his wife and many sons. By the coat they caught him, pulled him inside their earth, down their tunnels brought him. Inside their secret house, there they sat a-mumbling. Oh, Tom Bombadil, where you come tumbling, bursting in the front door? Badger folk have caught you. You'll never find it out the way that we have brought you. Now, old Badger Brock, do you hear me talking? You show me out at once, I must be a-walking. Show me to your back door under briar-roses, then clean grimy paws, wipe your earthy noses. Go back to sleep again on your straw pillow, like fair Goldberry and old man Willow. Then all the badger folk said, We beg your pardon. They showed Tom out again to their thorny garden, went back and hid themselves, a-shivering and a-shaking, blocked up all their doors, earth together raking. Rain had passed, the sky was clear, and in the summer gloaming old Tom Bombadil laughed as he came homing, unlocked his door again and opened up a shutter. In the kitchen round the lamp moths began to flutter. Tom through the window saw waking stars come winking, and the new slender moon early westward sinking. Dark came under hill. Tommy lit a candle. Upstairs creaking went, turned the door handle. Oh, Tom Bombadil, look what night has brought you. I'm here behind the door, now at last I've caught you. You'd forgotten Barrow White dwelling in the old mound up there on hilltop, with a ring of stones round. He's got loose again. Under earth he'll take you, poor Tom Bombadil. Pale and cold he'll make you. Go out, shut the door, and never come back after. Take away gleaming eyes, take your hollow laughter. Go back to grassy mound, on your stony pillow, Lay down your bony head like old man Willow, like young Goldberry and badger folk in Burrow. 
Go back to buried gold and forgotten sorrow. Out fled Barrow White through the window leaping, through the yard over wall like a shadow sweeping. Up hill wailing went back to leaning stone rings, back under lonely mound, rattling his bone rings. Old Tom Bombadil lay upon the pillow, sweeter than Goldberry, quieter than the willow, snugger than the badger folk or the barrow dwellers, slept like a humming top, snored like a bellows. He woke in morning light, whistled like a starling, sang, Come, daddy doll, merry doll, me darling. He clapped on his battered hat, boots and coat and feather, opened the window wide to the sunny weather. Wise old Bombadil, he was a wary fellow, bright blue his jacket was and his boots were yellow. None ever caught old Tom in upland or in dingle, walking the forest paths or by the withy window, or out on the lily pools in boat upon the water. But one day Tom he went and caught the river daughter, in green gown, flowing hair, sitting in the rushes, singing old water songs to birds upon the bushes. He caught her, held her fast. Water rats went scuttering, reeds hissed, herons cried, and her heart was fluttering. Said Tom Bombadil, here's my pretty maiden, you shall come home with me. The table is all laden, yellow cream, honeycomb, white bread and butter, roses of the window sill and peeping round the shutter. You shall come under hill. Never mind your mother in a deep weedy pool. There you'll find no lover. Old Tom Bombadil had a merry wedding, crowned all with buttercups, hat and feather shedding. His bride with forget-me-nots and flag lilies for garland was robed all in silver green. He sang like a starling, hummed like a honeybee, lilted to the fiddle, clasping his river maid round her slender middle. Lamps gleamed within his house, and white was the bedding. In the bright honeymoon badger folk came treading, danced down under hill, and old man Willow tapped, tapped at window-pane as they slept on the pillow. On the bank in the reeds, river-woman sighing, heard old Barrow-White in his mound, crying. Old Tom Bombadil heeded not the voices, taps, knocks, dancing feet, all the nightly noises. Slept till the sun arose and sang like a starling, Hey, come, derry doll, merry doll, me darling. Sitting on the doorstep, chopping sticks of willow, while fair Goldberry combed her tresses yellow. music from the lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring the shire the complete recordings by howard shore but oh milo we just heard the professor uh, uh reading his the adventures of tom bombadil the backstory for what we find in the lord of the rings and does his voice is so incredible it's 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 wonderful it's not too deep it's not too light it's just right and every inflection every rhythm of course he wrote the poem so you might say well he should be able to read it however i've certainly heard poets read their works where you really <laughs> wish that someone like sir patrick stewart or sir ian mckellen was reading it instead but in this case i don't know of anyone on the good earth that middle earth anywhere in the heavens that could read it better 
than the professor himself. Oh, absolutely. Especially that part of the end where he says, come, hey, come, dairy doll, merry doll, my darling. I mean, it's just, it's, it's perfect. perfect. Just perfect. <laughs> in case you are just tuning in, this is KUCI in Irvine. This is What Would Arwen Do on Every Other Friday Morning with me, Tani Tanuviel, my co-host Milo Lomestown. And we just want to remind everyone that the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the elf host and her hobbit co-host and do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. So, Milo... Although um, it should. (laughs) (laughs) Are we supposed to say that part? (laughs) No. So, um, I would love... um, Let's let's talk about... We are so excited that The the Hobbit is going to be coming to us as movies. Uh, For those of us who love not only the works uh, and literary works of J.R.R. Tolkien, but also the beautiful, beautiful movies. I came to the world of Middle-earth through the movies... Uh, through the Fellowship of the Ring, which I saw 28, 28 times in the theater within like a month. And I Don't be shy. I, I Say it proudly. 28, 28, times. 28 times. Because there was, and I learned something and I discovered something new every single time that I saw the movie. And I didn't even start seeing it until um, March 24th was the first time, you know, when it was, it had already been in the theaters for uh, almost four months. Um, you know, because it came out in December of 2001, but I didn't discover it until, um, you know, the whole thing with the Oscars. And I thought, I should really should go back and yes, see that. Yes. So, well, Milo, uh, as you know, Milo is a movie fanatic. Yes, you and are. And Milo, who had been reading The Lord of the Rings for many years, every year, was very afraid. Peter Jackson, this sort of cheap uh, horror movie director, being given this <laughs> plum of an assignment. So I was there, of course, on opening day. Uh, in December uh, 2001, and I was bowled away, especially bowled away uh, at that tremendous scene where Arwen rescues Frodo. In the books, the professor, who otherwise is perfect, had chosen Glorfindel to do Uh that work, but Peter Jackson said, wait a minute, wouldn't it be more logical for Arwen to do that? And I would say... That change he made, which at the time I said, that's interesting, in retrospect, is brilliant. Speaking of the and, last... De- and, and can I just interject a little bit sure. there, because you mentioned my uh, one of my fav- most favorite parts of the movie. That actually is what clinched me. That was when I saw Arwen up on the screen and rescuing Frodo... Uh, facing the Nazgul, you know, yes. she, you know, this archetype of the warrior princess that faces off with the Nazgul by the power of her voice calls the power of the river up to wash the Nazgul down the river, falls onto the bank with Frodo, who is still injured, and she says, what grace has given me, let it pass to him. And I was in love. I was, I, I was like, that's it. I'm an elf. <laughs> That's, that is the archetype of all I wish to be. And it has, you know, sent me on this grand adventure. And so w- it was amazing to me when I actually read the books and I realized that that wasn't actually in the books. <laughs> <laughs> 
So and and so some of the changes that Peter Jackson now Sir Peter Jackson we'll get that in a minute, uh, but some of the changes he made I do not agree with, but some of them were this one in particular yes. was brilliant. So let's talk about as movie fanatic I have to talk about the ten best movies of the last decade, as represented by Peter Travers, one of the really the best critics, mm-hmm. and he says. Uh, I'll do it from 1 to 10. He says, There Will Be Blood, great. Children of Men, wonderful. Mulholland Drive, brilliant. History of Violence, extremely good with our friend Viggo Mortensen, Aragorn. No Country for Old Men. The Incredibles, another, I mean, the decade... The decade of the 2000s probably was the Pixar decade in many ways, setting all kinds of records for a studio to have zero duds and all box office hits. Amazing. Brokeback Mountain, a tremendously beautiful film. Heath Ledger, unbelievable. The Departed, of course, Scorsese. What can you say? He's Scorsese. Mystic River, once again, Clint Eastwood showing that he is, in my opinion, in the in the Hobbit's opinion, a much better director than he was ever an actor. (laughs) (laughs) And number 10, The Lord of the Rings. Well, Peter Travers, I respectfully disagree. (laughs) All of these things are very good films, but when you look at the history of film in the 21st century, when we write our history books about the 21st century, the signpost, the the bright, shining signpost of the first decade of the 21st century will be The Lord of the Rings and should have been number one. As good as these, as, good as these other films are, and some of them are, are very, very good, when you talk masterpiece, yes. you talk Lord of the Rings. Well, because on so many levels, uh, things were done that had never been done before. The integration of the, you know, the, the animation, but the fact also that uh, Peter Jackson took these people, they took on this, you know, this project of, for three years, you know, they went to, nobody had ever really done something where the, all three films were being filmed, you know, in sequence to be released over the period of three years and uh that had that had never that had never been done before exactly right you talk about box office total lord of the rings is the winner you talk about innovation it's numero uno when you talk about the realization of a complex literary work on the screen without destroying the original feeling of the work right unique uh, in every dimension, in every measure, in every metric, warmth of heart. Yes. What other film has that degree of heart? In every dimension, it is the film of the 2000s. And and of bringing even, creating even additional, you know, communities of people that come together. You know, I mean, just Tolkien Online, you know, and TornTheWondering.com. Communities of people, you know, brought together through the Internet from all over the world to, to talk about and celebrate and discuss, you know, all of the aspects of not only the, the movies, but the resurgence of interest in the books as well. Right. When you look at these other nine films that Peter Travers mentions, and he's not the only one. I pick on him yeah. because he's at hand, right? right? But if you look at all of these major critics, they are, I believe, flawed in their thinking. Yes, these are other other films are good. Anyhow, enough about that. We have news to talk but about. But let's talk There's about the news. Yes, we're going to run out of time news. without oh, getting to the news. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so first of all, what is perhaps one of the biggest pieces of news is that New Zealand filmmaker Peter Jackson has been knighted as a knight companion uh, by uh, Queen Elizabeth II, who is 
the titular head of state of New Zealand. We now address him as Sir Peter. Sir Peter Jackson. Unbelievable. In the New Year's honors lists. Uh, and of course we had announced. Sir Ian McKellen. Who well, Sir Ian McKellen had become a knight years ago because of his work on stage. Yes. But he certainly deserves a double dose for his work on film. When you look at his <laughs> yes. realization of Gandalf, who else? I mean, you can't imagine. When I'm reading the books now, I regret to inform you for the last seven years as I've re I said, I cannot imagine. I mean, every time I read in the book, Gandalf, boom, yes. I see Ian McKellen <laughs> in my mind. So that's one piece of very, very good news. Um, for those of you who live or work, if you have a work permit in New Zealand, you can now apply to be a part of the Hobbit movies as an extra. Oh, you need to send in your photograph. You need to send in your photograph and details to Three Foot Seven Limited Hobbit Extras application, P.O. Box One Five One Zero Four Miramar Wellington Six Two Four Three New Zealand. You know, but you have to either be a resident or have a work permit. I wish I would have known that and thought about this because i remember when the movies came out i thought oh my gosh i wish i, I would have if i would have known i would have gone and thrown myself at the feet i would have carried sandwiches i would have cleaned out the the bathrooms I, I, I don't know i don't care what i would have done just to be there on the the set while this this was going on and it didn't occur to me that if i would have been well, of course, I wouldn't have been able to be here doing what would Arwen do, but if I would have a couple of years ago, you know, gotten myself over to New Zealand, now when they're doing the call, I could I could have been able, but I wouldn't be able to to to, to talk about it. So it's um, all okay. So these pieces of news are from the One Ring dot net, which I refer you to. Uh, there is. Um, a new bit from the BBC up there on the OneRing.net. Uh -huh. uh, Sir Ian McKellen talking to Andrew Marr about uh, his work in The Prisoner, his work in Stage in the West End, and his return to the Shire. Also, Gollum, Andy Serkis, is in a new film which is getting raves called um, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, where he plays Ian Dury, the famous uh, record producer who was paralyzed on his left side from polio. But he is getting tremendous raves in this. Mm. Why do we mention Andy Serkis? Because he did such a brilliant job uh, as Gollum. Yes. And he will be a special guest on the OneRing.net blog talk radio show Sunday. That is Sunday. two days from now, the 118th birthday of J.R.R. Tolkien, but January 3rd at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So go to the OneRing.net to listen to that. It's really wonderful. And apparently Sir Ian McKellen will be calling in on that show live oh, as well. Oh, my goodness. So, and finally, The Hobbit. Oh, as we look forward to this decade, what will go down is, I'm sure, the best film of the decade will be The <laughs> Hobbit Part 1 and 2. Uh, we need to talk about our old friend André Vienne yes. of the Théâtre Saint Fille, and their production, their their adult size puppet production of The Hobbit, suitable for all ages. Really, originally intended for adults, as yes. it turns out, but suitable, very suitable for children. Uh, the uh, tremendous, beautiful puppetry, Smaug, and Gandalf, and Thorin Oakenshield, and 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 the elves, so and ethereal. Gollum. 
Gollum. And the uh. spiders. Oh, my gosh. It's so great. And, case, and if you go to the production, they invite people to come up on the stage after the production to see the puppets close up and to meet the puppeteers. So that is one of the most wonderful parts of this. this I mean, the production itself is, is so beautiful and engaging. And the also music. To get to, and the music. But to get to go up on stage afterwards and see these puppets uh, close up and meet the puppeteers, they even let you take pictures with them. It's quite something. It's really tremendous. In any case, an update on their Hobbit uh, will be presented live in Tacoma January 8th, uh, opening at the Broadway Center Pantages Theater in Tacoma, Washington, is January 8th with the 50 life-size puppets, some much larger than life-size, if I may say so. Yes. January 8th at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Uh, the Pantages Theater is located at 901 Broadway in downtown Tacoma, Washington. Box office hours are Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. For more information, you can call area code 253-591-5890 or visit http colon slash slash www.broadwaycenter.org. So a chance oh, to see... If our friends up in the Northwest uh, might want to get together for, for a, a moot and uh, go see the Hobbit, Hobbit show. That would be a perfect place to do it. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, uh, so my gosh, we, we are almost out of time again. Can you believe it? <laughs> oh, there is one thing I wanted to mention from the letters. Yes. The letters of... J- I can't believe the time has flown, I Tani, you, you mysterious elf. <laughs> <laughs> but the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, selected and edited by Humphrey Carpenter, with assistance by Christopher Tolkien, who, of course, was J.R.R. Tolkien's son. From a letter to Hungarian Peter Zabo sent Mihalyi, this letter was written October 1971, and he writes... I have no time to provide bibliographical material concerning criticisms, reviews, or translations. The following point, however, I should like to make briefly. One of my strongest opinions is that investigation of an author's biography, or such other glimpses of his personality as can be gleaned by the curious, is an entirely vain and false approach to his works, and especially to a work of narrative art, of which the object aimed at by the author was to be enjoyed as such, to be read with literary pleasure, so that any reader whom the author has, to his great satisfaction, succeeded in pleasing, which means exciting, engrossing, moving, etc., should, if he wishes others to be similarly pleased, endeavor in his own words with only the book itself as his source to induce them to read it for literary pleasure. So there we hear Tolkien himself saying that biographical analysis is something that he really does not appreciate, that he doesn't really want people to do. And yet, as we've mentioned earlier, there are so many tremendous aspects to his life from his, um, his marriage, his romance and marriage with Edith Bratt, oh, yeah. which I think we'll have to be talking about in several weeks before Valentine's Day. Yes, the, there the is story one of Baron letter. and Luthien. Yes. Oh, my gosh. The story of Baron and Luthien has to be read. This letter, uh, which I've bookmarked for that uh, great day, um, he wrote a letter to his son um, on his son's 21st birthday. In that 21st birthday, uh, 
talking about love and marriage and romance yes. will be perfect for our Valentine's Day show. Well, and I think also, I just want to mention, too, that we are so excited, those of us who love not only the books but the movies, and that there are those that sometimes say, oh, Jared Tolkien would not have liked these movies and these puppet things. I think I think he actually would have, and I think there is evidence for that. And I like, I want to end our show today with reading just this little from a letter of J.R.R. Tolkien. This was uh, one of the famous letters that was written to Milton Waldman in 1951. But he talks about his his desire in, um, you know, where he mints, he talks about uh, Middle Earth where he says, yet always I had the sense of recording what was already there somewhere, not of inventing when he was writing of Middle Earth. But he says, uh, do not laugh, but once upon a time, my crest has long since fallen, I had a mind to make a body of more or less connected legend, ranging from the large and cosmogonic to the level of romantic fairy story, the larger founded on the lesser in contact with the earth, the lesser drawing splendor from the ba- vast backcloths, which I could dedicate simply to, to England, my country. It should possess the tone and quality that I desired, somewhat cool and clear, be redolent of our air, the clime and soil of the Northwest, meaning Britain and the hither parts of Europe, not Italy or the Aegean, still less the East, and while possessing, if I could achieve it, the fair elusive beauty that some call Celtic, though it is rarely found in genuine ancient Celtic things, it should be high, purged of the gross, and fit for the more adult mind of a land now long steeped in poetry. I would draw some of the great tales in fullness, and leave many only placed in the scheme and sketched. The cycles should be linked to a majestic whole, and yet leave scope for other minds and hands, wielding paint and music and drama." absurd he says but he says right here that he meant to leave things only sketched um and leave scope for other minds and hands peter jackson's the andre viennes the peter naismith who's brought us and alan lee have brought us such beautiful art um howard shore beautiful music wielding paint and music and drama so i believe that tolkien himself would have celebrated that there are so many wonderful ways um that his world of Middle Earth has has been incarnated and continues to spread its beauty and magic. Absolutely true. I just read a letter yesterday evening preparing for our time today, um, and I forget the date or the addressee, but he wrote a letter about that, that he encourages adaptation. Yes. So with that, uh, we will in uh, two days from now uh, perhaps be raising a pint or a glass of Miravore in toast to the professor, J.R.R. Tolkien. In the meantime, it is our time is up. We will have to leave with, but uh, let's uh, end our show today with uh, some music from the Howard Shore, the um, extended the, the complete recordings of The Fellowship of the Ring, and of course, uh, J.R. Tolkien, considering himself a hobbit, I think it only fitting that we end with some music from the Shire. But before then, I want to wish, we want to wish all of our listeners, both live and on the internet, via podcast, via iTunes, a very happy, healthy, prosperous, enjoyable new year and new decade of Middle Earth delights. Absolutely. And for those that we have yet to meet and have adventures with, let us say, Ellen Salalumen Amentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. And of course, for you, my friend, Milo, 
uh, a star definitely shown on the hour of our meeting. That is Thank certainly you. the truth. Why don't we you? are off for more adventures. We are. We should tell our listeners where they can write us. They Oh, they can contact us through email at askanelf at yahoo.com, A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F at yahoo.com. Have a great new year, Tani. Yeah, you too, my friend. And here is Howard Shore. You are listening to KUCI in Irvine, the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. Down from the door where it began And I must follow behind him The road goes ever on and on Down from the door 